Thanks. It is so good to be here today. It's been a, it's been a journey to get to this point. Um, I was thinking about it a lot. Last time I gave a message was July the 11th. So we're two months removed from that point. I got to be good today. I'm sitting to, to save some energy. I don't know how long this will last. It feels so awkward to, to sit down. Uh, I've got my water here. Casey told me I have to talk slow. So I'll do my best to do that. Listening to you sing and worship and celebrate our Lord just filled my heart with great joy. Truth be told, I didn't know if I'd ever have an opportunity like this again. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and my family. Thank you for your love, your support. Thank you for the food. Uh, Thank you for your patience with us during this time. Most importantly, thank you for your prayers. Oftentimes people will say, is there anything else I can do besides pray? I wonder why we say that. It's as though we're minimizing the importance and power of prayer. So I just want to say thank you to have such a praying church. Even those that are listening or watching online today or in the future, it's been encouraging to, to know that so many people have been praying for us, not just here, but across the states. And you get emails from Friends now in Australia, South Africa, across the globe, just reaching out and noticing, hey, I haven't seen you online, Uh, are you okay? And then getting their prayers during this time has been oh so important and helpful. This morning as I, I shared with you more of a personal message, more so than I've done ever, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and open them up, please, to James chapter 4. Some of the other verses that I'll refer to will be on the screen. Some of them won't, but James chapter 4. And when you find that place, I'd go ahead and just mark uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as well, because I'll get to that towards the end. We find ourselves in James chapter 4. Now next week I'll uh, resume our study through Romans. Okay, so we'll pick back up in Romans chapter 5 next week. But this morning I'm going to start and just share a little bit about uh, some of the scripture and then some of my story and we'll see how, how it goes. Uh, chapter 4, verse number 13. James starts off and he says in this section, Come now, uh, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in in business and make a profit. Uh, James is referring to the specific plans of a Jewish businessman who failed to take God into consideration when he was mapping out the course and the direction of his life. I mean, this verse is a glaring example of what one might call practical atheism. Practical atheism, I don't know if you've heard that term before or not, but practical atheism is when we confess that we believe in God, but yet we live our lives as though He doesn't exist. So, so, so we make our own plans, we, we make our own decisions without ever seeking to know His will, His plan, and His purpose for our lives. Now, make no mistake, there's nothing wrong with making plans. 
We should plan and prepare for the future. In fact, we should never fail to take time to plan. Planning before we act is not what Scripture is addressing here. The warning is for us not to plan without God's involvement in the planning process. And so yet, despite the warning of Scripture, and Scripture gives warning after warning, most people plan their lives without giving any consideration unto God. I mean, think about the audacity of that. They, they plan their lives as if they themselves are in control of their destiny or the direction of their life. Look at verse number 14. Verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now this verse seems to relate to Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 1. There it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. See, we seldom know when death comes. We seldom know how death will occur. But make no mistake, death is inevitable for every single one of us. Our life is uncertain. It's totally uncertain. We're not promised or guaranteed today. I'm not promised or guaranteed that I'll even make it through the message today. Much less, we're not promised tomorrow. Therefore, we need to cherish every moment that we have and we need to seek to live our lives for the glory of God because each and every moment that has been granted unto us is all because of the grace of God. And so to us, life seems so long that we measure it in years. But in comparison to eternity... Life is but a vapor. James borrows this imagery, I believe, from the book of Job. Job used many illustrations to talk about the brevity of life. In fact, in Job chapter 8, verse number 9, he says, Our days upon earth are a shadow. And so, what should our proper response be when it comes to living the life that we've been given by the grace of God? Well, the answer is in verse number 15. Verse 15 says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And so, uh, maybe you know or maybe you don't, Christians for, for hundreds of years used to, in their letters that they would send to one another, they used to end those letters by, by signing their names and then writing the initials D.V. And they'd write those initials at the end of all of their letters. Those initials D.V. stood for a Latin phrase called Dio Valente. Dio Valente in English would be translated as God willing. So James says that this ought to be the response of our lives. We, we ought to be living with the awareness that we seek to do something only if it's in the will of God. And, and so practical terms and uh, for those that might be interviewing for a job or a promotion within your company uh, instead of praying oh god please let me have this job or let me receive this promotion this is perfect for me it's what i've always wanted instead of taking that approach i would encourage you to dio volente it what does that mean? It means that you simply go before the Father and you say, God, if it be Your will, then Father, would You please make it happen? 
When you approach life and decisions in that way, then there's a great sense of peace that happens in life. Because if the answer to that job or that promotion comes back as a no, and you've deovalentate the process, and you get no as an answer, then you can have peace in knowing that God is in control. And if that answer comes back as a yes, then you can have confidence in knowing that you're walking into a blessing and how much better it is to live and approach life that way rather than making decisions on our own and then after the fact, asking and expecting for God to bless us in the decision that we made while we never even considered His plan and purpose in that decision-making process. Over these past several weeks, my, my life has been filled with moments of Dio Valente. God willing. If it be Your will. And I tried, but I can't. It just doesn't feel right. kind of goes back to July 15th. July 15th would have been a Thursday. On that Thursday, we hosted one of the backyard Bible clubs at our house that evening. And then after everything was done and everyone was gone, I remember telling KC that I just don't feel right tonight. We already had some sickness that was already in our house and they had done well to isolate themselves, but I remember that night not feeling so well. Woke up the next day and started running a fever, had the headache, immediately started a, a six-day medication protocol with little to no improvement over those six days. Headache never went away. Fever would spike at a pretty high number. I'm not going to tell you because you'd be like, why didn't you go to the hospital then? (laughs) It's so much easier after the fact to look back and be like, maybe I should have. I'll tell you. At one point, it was 105.3. But I took a cold shower and it came right down and I figured (laughs) that's all it took, apparently. So over the course of the first week, there's really no improvement. So on July 22nd, I scheduled an online doctor's visit, and I got a prescription, a a, a few different medications, and I started to take those. uh, And um, by that Sunday, I was encouraged because the fever had come all the way down. I mean, I went a full day on Sunday with, with no fever, Uh, Monday, no fever really, and I'm thinking, okay, here we go, there's a breakthrough. Uh, Tuesday was an important day because way before this even happened, uh, Casey and Rose had made plans to do an end-of-summer getaway prior to Casey's school year starting with classical conversations and Rose going off back off to college, and so... They had planned to get away to go to New Orleans, and I was starting to feel better, and uh, originally, Canaan was going to stay home with me, and we were just going to do a guy thing while they were gone, but Casey and Rose took Canaan with them so that I could continue uh, to recover. Um, They left on Tuesday morning. Uh, That afternoon and evening, uh, my fever started to, to come back. The next day, not waiting, went ahead and tried to schedule another appointment with a doctor. The schedule was full, and they couldn't get me in until Thursday. By getting in, that was even a video uh, appointment with the doctor. So I had to wait till Thursday. Uh, When we did that video thing, the doctor first thing said, says, you don't look so good. I was like, well, yeah, I don't feel so good either. So what can we do? So he gave me another prescription, and then uh, talking me through a medical procedure that he'd like, uh, you know, potentially to do for me, 
the thing was, I knew that I had COVID. He knew that I had COVID. It was easy to, to know and to self-diagnose. And, uh, but the problem was, in order to do this procedure, I, had, I needed to have a, a positive COVID test result. And so uh, that Thursday afternoon, uh, I got a ride uh, down to the clinic to get a test done. Uh, but apparently it was already after the last pickup happened for the day, and so I'd have to wait until Friday before I can get a test result back. And so uh, that night I go to bed. It was a horrible night that night. It was long. It was uh, difficult. Um, woke up on Friday morning. I have a pulse ox reader. <laughs> I still carry it around with me. It's habit now. Um, but I, uh, I was checking it in the morning, and uh, I was the only one awake in the house. And I was like, man, that, I don't think this is working because those numbers don't seem right. They seem a little low. And I can remember waiting for, and I think I waited for Logan to, to get up that day. And I was like, hey, Logan, why don't you put this on your finger? Let's see what it does. And within a moment, he shows it to me, and he's got a hundred pulse socks, and I'm thinking, oh, great, it is working. Casey's um, still on her trip, and we talked that morning, and I told her that my, my pulse socks is low. She's like, how low? I said, uh, 53? She's like, I'm hanging up the phone. I'm calling Wynette. And then get you to the to the hospital. And I'm like, no argument. It's like I think I said you would do that for me. <laughs> There's a lot on Friday that I don't really remember. There are moments that I do. I do remember that. I do remember if you're in an emergency and you really need to get somewhere, Wynette's a pretty good driver to get you there. <laughs> in an emergency. So uh, Tom and Wynette arrive at my house and help me to, to get into the car and take me to the uh, emergency room. Oh, back to the pulse ox thing. It, it was later after I got released from the hospital and we were at the house. I remember looking through my phone and for some reason I have this picture. And it was a picture I took of my hand on that Friday because apparently I wanted to capture what I saw, and so thinking that my pulse ox was 53, in reality, that morning, I was running at 35. Um, I, I'm sure it was lower by the time I got to the, to the emergency room. When I got to the emergency room, I don't really remember much at all. I remember sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, I remember them calling my name. I vaguely remember an uh, encounter as they were checking me in. At that moment, that's, that's really it. Um, I went from arriving to the emergency room to being placed on a ventilator in approximately three hours. There was a video conversation that I had with Casey. She had already left, and they were already on their way home. Um, and so she can add more clarity to, to those details. But at one point, they said that she needed to pull over so that we could try to do a video talk. And the only thing, I remember two things on that call. I remember at one point uh, talking to Kanan. He was riding in the back, and I remember him asking me, hey, Daddy, what's that thing on your face? And I was like, oh, that's to help with the oxygen and stuff. And I, I do remember that. When I came to talking to my bride, all I can remember is just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's it. For the, for the next week, I would be in the ICU with little to no memory of what was happening or anything. Now, there, there are moments of things that I do remember, and uh, 
Uh, for instance, I remember them asking me the question. They were going to play music for me one day. I remember them asking me the question on what, what music do you like to listen to? Now, this is weird. Like, I'll just tell you. Like, and so I can't talk uh, because I have that thing in my throat, an endotracheal tube or whatever. So I can't talk, and so I'm trying to write. And, and I'm like, okay, so truth be told, a little bit. The weirdest thing pops into my mind about what do I want to listen to. And I was like, how do I tell them uh, Linda Ronstadt, Aaron Neville, cry like a rainstorm, howl like a wind? I don't know why that thing came to my mind. And I I surely knew I was no way was I going to be able to write that out. And so I, I requested classical music. If you know me, you're like, I don't listen to classical music ever. Now, my wife does. And, and I know that it's good to listen to, and it's, it's helpful. So my, my answer was, was classical. So I do remember a few occasions when uh, they were asking me something, and I would try to write uh, on paper. And that was an extremely difficult thing to, to be able to do. And they were really good to decipher uh, my handwriting. The only one thing I remember actually writing uh, was the time I wrote, uh, tried to write out wife. And um, so I remember that. I remember hearing Casey's voice. That memory didn't come to me until after I got out of the hospital. I remember one day I was woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was like clear as anything. I was like, oh, I remember something. I remember my wife talking to me. I remember her telling me, you got this. You can do this. You're, you're almost there. You, you can do it. You can do it, David. You hang in there. I remember uh, Connor's funeral service. That's what we just dealt with, my, my nephew's funeral. And she's like, you, you didn't think you were going to be able to do it, but, but you, had, you were able to. I looked at you, gave you this sign. And, you know, so she's saying all these things to encourage me. And it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm having this memory, and everything I want to do is just to go and to wake her up and be like, hey, baby, like, did you actually say this? And if you said this, was this before or while I was in ICU, or was it after ICU? I just couldn't wait to find out. And so I didn't wake her up at 4 in the morning. I just waited until she got up. And when she got up, I asked her, and she said, yeah, that was the day that they were uh, doing a breathing trial. And I'd gone... I think it was two and a half hours of breathing on my own and had an hour and a half to go and uh, she called in at that point and was trying to encourage me. So it's like, I remember that. I don't remember the other phone calls. Uh, there were plenty of them. Uh, learning afterwards, I got to hear from all of my kids one day and I remember, well, I don't remember I read that whenever the voice would change from one kid to another, I'd squeeze the nurse's hand. I I remember looking at a nurse, and her instructions were, on the count of three, cough. I was like, okay, one, two, three, cough, and then pull that endotracheal tube out. That day and the next day, there would be nurses that would come in and check on me, and they would say how thankful they were to to see me, and what a blessing, and what a miracle I was. I appreciated them saying that, but I had no real understanding of what they meant by that, because I had no real understanding of what I went through. I was trying to piece together the time frame. And so what I know is that I've been there for a week and something's happened to me and people are praying for me. I mean, I, like, like I didn't even have just church members praying for me. Like, man, I was uniquely blessed. I had nurses praying for me, laying their hands on my chest and praying for me. Like, God has been so good and so kind to me through all of this. But it took me a while to understand what happened. And I didn't understand things 
until I got home. And all I know is coming out of that and then taking that tube out of my throat and uh, taking me to another room. And I remember them saying, hey, you know, a lot of people, when they're coming out of the ICU, they, they kind of have weird experiences. You know, some people say that they see things and so some psychosis they deal with. And so if that happens to you, just let us know. And I'm telling you, that next 48 hours were miserable. I saw all kinds of freaky things, but I never told anybody. I don't know why, but things on the walls would slide up and down. Uh, a sign in my room would, would change wording. And like, just, I'm in a room by myself, I think. And to the left of me, there's some dude that's rocking in a rocking chair. Covered up with a blanket. That's what I think, right? And so I would never look to my left. Because I'm like, what's that person in here for? I don't, I don't get it. It wasn't until the, the next day that I had some occupational therapists come in. And they sat on my left. And I'm like, oh, that's a dangerous place to be, you know. And the guy was like, hey, you got a beautiful family. And I remember thinking, dude, you don't even know my family. How do you know my family's beautiful? I mean, they are. I mean, I'm not saying they're not. I was like, how do you know? And then he gets up and he walks over, and lo and behold, I've got pictures in my room. I've got cards. I've got a Bible. I've got all these things that my wife had sent up to, to my room, all on the left, and I never saw any of it because of the dude that was rocking in a rocking chair. <laughs> the second day, coming out of ICU, at one point, the door opened up and two nurses walk in. And I see the eyes of one of them. And I'm like, those look familiar. And in this time of no visitation and nobody can go in, into rooms and nobody can visit family and all of those restrictions... Lo and behold, my wife worked the system in such a beautiful way that she came into my room. And she got to come and sit with me for several hours. But like she'll tell you, when she walked into the room, she said, my eyes were just wide open. Like, and I couldn't, I couldn't process it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, that's my wife, but she can't be here oh no, this is another one of those things. And it's like, be careful, that's some other person. Maybe some other person's wife. Don't say too much. Or... So it took me a little bit to settle in to, to really understand that, no, that's my wife. We sat there and we held hands and she'll tell you, I didn't say much in that conversation. I just stared at the sign in front of me waiting for it to change so I could have proof from my bride that these weird things actually happen in this room. And I would say, see, there it is. There's the sign. And she was so good and so patient with me. I say, what does it say? And she looked at me and she goes, well, you tell me. What does it say? And I'd say, uh, don't fall, call. If you've been in those rooms, you know what I'm talking about, Right? I'm telling you, Andy, that sign changed like seven, eight different sayings. and They even had their own Spanish saying too, and I don't read Spanish. I don't understand it, and so I'm waiting for it to change. And I should be enjoying this visit with my wife, but I'm just stuck in this sign waiting for it to change. I'm like, See, there it is. And she's like, Gee, what does it say, David? And I tell her, same thing, don't fall and call. It never would change when I thought it would change. She was so good. She got up and she goes over to the wall. She, she feels on the wall. She goes, no, see, these are stickers. This, is, this doesn't change. And I just look at her and I'm like, I trust you. <laughs> I trust you. All these things happening. And my mind's still trying to process what is it that I've been through. And it took until I got home to fully wrap my mind around it. The first night I was home, laid in bed, Casey began to unpack day after day after day the things that happened. At one point she even said, you know, I sent you messages. And so I didn't know. But she would send me a message through her app on her phone. 
every single day. Things that I've done and words of encouragement and scripture that she would share with me. That that ride home on that coming home from the hospital, I can remember mostly silent in the car, hard to talk without getting emotional, but it just felt good just to hold my wife's hand and enjoy that ride home. Getting home, I knew I'd be frail and, and weak and Walking was a challenge, and Tom and Wynette met us at the house, and Tom helped me up the steps to my home, and I got inside, and blessing for us, my mother had driven from Alabama to come and to help us out, so she got there earlier in the day, and oh man, she is amazing. She stayed with us for right at a month, I mean, she just went home. Uh, this past Saturday, and I wish she was still here. It was just the most beautiful time to to have together. And then I felt kind of stuck because she came there to help until I get better, and I'm getting better. And I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen if I get too good. Then mom's going to be like, oh, it's time for me to go. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want to fake being bad. And I like, I... so eventually got to that point. But here's the thing. Being in ICU, a uh, limited memory of, of the specific things that happened to me. What I do want to share with you today is what I remember with absolute clarity. And what I remember with absolute clarity are my, my thoughts, my feelings, and my prayers during those days in the ICU. I can remember thanking is this it? God, this is, this is how I'm going to go out of this world. And thinking, what about my wife? What about my, my children? And God, I know that like, you're sovereign over everything. Like, I get that. But, but really, this is, is, is this how it's going to be? And then I remember asking for forgiveness for, for not wanting to die in that moment. And and be like, God, like, I, like if that's sin, then like, forgive me. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen with me. But, but my thoughts went back to the very first sermon that I preached at this church. And in that sermon, I remember using an illustration. I talked about uh, doing a 5K race uh, there and when we were in Kansas. And on this particular race on that day, uh, I was pushing Kanan in a stroller. Casing, I mean, she's a, a lot better at this running thing than I am. And so on that particular day, I believe that she was on the 15K uh, race. And Kanan and I were kicking in on the 5K, and that was good for us. And on that day, I was pushing him in the stroller. It was so cold that day. It was just, so he's all bundled up and everything. And so we start, and I'm just thinking it's going to be an easy, you know, no stress run. And I start that race. And when you're in a stroller, you have a stroller on a race, you always have to start at the end. You know, they always put you at the back and you start running. And I'm like, hey, this actually feels good. And I'm, I'm weaving through people. I'm like, hey, I think we're going to get a good time on this race. And then Canaan starts crying and crying. And so now I'm trying to run beside a stroller, consoling him. And then I have to stop and, and take care of him. And I can remember people passing me, being, oh, Dad, it's okay, Dad. Just let him cry. You can do it. You can do it. And I was like, ah, no. No, I don't want to do that. I know what my boy wants. My boy's cold. He just wants to be held. I don't care about a time or a personal best. And so I scooped him up, picked him up, and he was good. Crying stopped. Problem for me is I was barely a mile into the race. I still had two more miles to go of carrying him and pushing a stroller. We get to this one point, we turn and go up a hill. So I just stop, take off my hoodie because now I'm sweating when everybody else is cold. And I have to push a stroller, walk, catch a stroller, 
push a stroller, walk, catch a stroller. But when I went to go take off my hoodie, I had to set Canaan down. And so I had to set him down so I could rip my hoodie off. I rip her off and look and, oh no, where is he at? Oh, he went downhill. So I had to go back and I was like, we've already been this way. We got to go that way, buddy. And so scoop him up. We finished the race. And at that time, we finished that race and we're waiting for KC to finish her race. And, and we're watching people as they're finishing. And it hit me. People finish a race one of two ways. One of two ways. They finish that finish, they cross that finish line. Either they're exhausted, they're spent, they pass out, they vomit, whatever it is. I mean, they gave it all. Or you'll see other people cross the finish line like, a, eh, not a big deal. And if they were honest, they could probably look back and be like, if I would have pushed myself a little bit more, I could have come in a little bit quicker. In other words, I, I still had more to give. Like, I, I didn't spend it all. There's still stuff left, and, and I still have more to give. And I remember being in the ICU and thinking, oh, God, like, I still got more to give. I got more to give. I've, I haven't been completely spent. I've got more to give my wife. I've got more to give my children. I've got more to give my family. I've got more to give this church. I've got more to give to this community. i got more to give for the kingdom of God. If it be your will, would you give me some more time? But if it's not, would you please, please, give me, my wife, my children, would you please give us an overwhelming sense of peace? And so guess what? Obviously, God answered those prayers. He gave me some more time. But here's the beautiful thing. You've got more time too. You've got more time. Think about it. If God were done with you, then He'd call you to be home with Him for those that believe. Right? But, but, but you're still here. You've still got time. Your life still has a purpose. I would say don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on the trivial things. Don't waste your life on the things that are temporary. Spend your life pursuing the eternal things for the glory of God. A a few verses to consider. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So think about it. Like, like, look around. God has brought us all together so that He could take our unique skills, our unique passions, and so that He could work them together for the kingdom of God so that He could be exalted and glorified. It's not by chance that we're here together. And so well, that's why that this church has, has elders now and we have, we have a staff that is eager to pour into your life so that you can be equipped to fulfill the ministry, the good works that God's already prepared in advance for you to do. That's why we're here. That's what Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, and He gave some as apostles some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So we are the body of Christ. So may we stop wasting our lives on things that are temporary or trivial. May we live each day with the awareness of, of the grace of God. May we continually seek to glorify Him and to make His glory known. Now, now back to James, right? James chapter 4, look at verse number 17. Verse number 17 sums up all of chapters 1 through 4. Verse number 17 says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. See, we tend to limit sins to specific acts. 
you know, to doing wrong things. But James tells us that sin is not just the doing of wrong things. It also includes the failure to do the right things. These two kinds of sins are often called sins of commission and sins of omission. Like an example, we know that it's a sin to lie. But it can also be a sin to know the truth and yet not tell the truth. So what do we know from what I've just shared? Even today, we know that God has created us to do good works. That's what we've been created. We've been created to do good works. We know that God has joined you together with the church that will encourage and equip you to carry out the ministry that God has given to you. And not only that, I ask you to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Flip over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We also know that God has empowered His children with the Holy Spirit. In other words, He has gifted us as His children with a spiritual gift that is to be used for His glory. So Paul writes about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse number 4, he says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. He goes on to say in verse number 5 and 6, he says, And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in some people. Really? Nobody's going to catch it? Yeah. No. It says, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Then he says, look at verse number 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body Though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. God has brought us together in this specific day and, and time to, so that He could take us all and 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 through the working of His Spirit, that we could work together to to minister to each other and to minister to this community for the glory of God. May we stop wasting our lives on the things that are so insignificant. Look, lying in the hospital, I had nothing but time to sit and reflect. I didn't get a lot of reading done when I was in the hospital. Largely because I didn't have my glasses in the hospital. And I wasn't able to read. And I couldn't really, my eyes were just, uh, they weren't really cooperating with me so well. And so I didn't have the ability at that time to, to read. And so as I was laying in the hospital day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment, trying to fill my mind with things that are good, things that are positive, the thing that stuck out to me and the thing that I would say to myself over and over and over and over again. It's the thing that I often say every week when we come together. I would lay in that bed and remind myself that God has gone before me to lead me, behind me to protect me, Beneath me to sustain me and beside me to befriend me. I didn't have to be afraid. Because I knew God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were always going to be with me. They would never leave me, nor would they forsake me. And then that last little phrase, therefore go. Oh, I wanted to go. <laughs> but until I could get gone, the, the thought was to glorify Him in all things. And I can remember conversation after conversation with physical therapists, occupational therapists, respiratory therapists. It didn't take long before people understood, oh, you're the pastor. 
I'm like, yeah. Can I tell you how good God has been to me? And to be able to take that moment just to share the goodness and the grace of God. That's what sustained me while I was in the hospital. When I got home from the hospital, what kept me going was something that I saw on my wife's dresser. There on top of her dresser, she often keeps index cards with verses on them. I never even said anything to her on this one. But on this particular card, I put it on the screen too. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those are the things that have been sustaining me and encouraging me for my wife to share a little bit from her perspective. The, the scripture that was shared to her by a very dear friend of hers comes from Isaiah chapter 41. In Isaiah chapter 41, uh, verse number 10, it says, oh, where am I at? Did I put that on there? My bad. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This past week, my wife posted a blog on a little bit about the journey that we've been on. And on that blog, she said this, and yes, I do have her permission to to share this with you. After quoting that verse, she writes, I will admit, at first, I was scared. I didn't want to be scared. I didn't want the enemy to have any victory in this situation. And that meant that I had to come to terms with whatever outcome was waiting for me, whether it was good or bad. So I claimed Isaiah 41.10 and never looked back. I begged and pleaded for my husband's life. I asked over and over for miracle healing. David would be healed one way or another, but would it be this side of heaven? There are so many people that prayed for him, from family, friends, church members, nurses, even people across the globe. I'll be forever grateful for those prayers. Isaiah 41.10 is a beautiful promise from God. It's a promise that God will be with His people. I believe it's a promise that applies to all righteous believers of all generations. We are told that God will never leave us forsaken, forsake us, nor will He ever abandon us. So even in the very worst of times, we do not need to be frightened or disheartened Even when the enemy seems to be so strong and we appear to be so weak, the Lord promises that He will strengthen those. He said, Scripture even says that He will strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed unto Him. Like it's been two months of of just craziness. Two months that... Man, there are times people ask me, well, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I I feel pretty good physically, but there are days when mentally uh, I'm broke. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at at what this has, has done and what this has caused other people to have to have gone through. There, there was a time, I've done better with it since then, but there was a time that I just felt an overwhelming sense of guilt for everything that I just put my wife and my children and my family through. Even you. But God has relieved me of that guilt. I'm not, I don't think, there today. There are plenty of times. It's changed my perspective on, on all things. So I've got to remind myself, be patient. Not everybody's gone through the experience that I have gone through, so I've got to be patient because sometimes church members, not you, but sometimes church members just get bent out of shape and complain over the most trivial things. I want a church to get 
bent out of shape and, and complained that we're not doing enough to get the gospel into this community. That, 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 that we want to see more lives change. We want to see more people come to know Christ. We want to see the baptism being used week after week after week after week. That's what I want to drive us as a church. Not over the sound, not over the carpet, not over a classroom, not over a bulletin board, not over a trash can, not over a toilet seat. Like all these things, come on, really? No, man, God has blessed us by His grace with life. And this life is to be lived for His glory. So may we as a church embrace the blessing that God has given to us. We're alive. That's a beautiful thing. But what do we do with our life? That's what matters. That's the difference. So there are relationships that need to be restored. There are husbands that need to seek forgiveness from their wives. There are wives that need to seek forgiveness from their husbands. There are children that need to repent to their parents. There are church members that need to just start getting along and loving each other. There's all kinds of things that need to happen as a result of what God has poured out into our lives. And my desire is to be done for today to stop talking. I feel myself getting faster in my speaking. I'm getting slow down. I get it. But may I lead us in a time of response. And how do you respond to the life that God's blessed you with? In a moment, the, the elders and I and staff will, will be down here willing to pray with you and to encourage you. The altar's open. This is a time of prayer and reflection and responding to what God has done in your heart and in your life. And may you know that your pastor is extremely thankful for each and every one of you. I am extremely blessed to be able to, to be here today. And I look forward to many, many years. Dio Valente, God willing, if it be His will, of serving and loving and leading this congregation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and how you've blessed each and every one of us. God, in this room, uh, there are no doubt decisions and commitments that need to be made. Some people are just walking through life, ignoring you, refusing to seek after you. God, I pray that your spirit would bring conviction that you would draw them unto you. For the believers in this room, God, let us know what are the things that we are doing that we need to stop doing and what are the things that we aren't doing that we need to engage and start doing. God, help us to fully submit and surrender our lives unto you. And as we sing this song, may it be a true reflection of of our lives. In fact, Father, the words to this song are true for us, but may we shut our mouths because we realize it's just as easy to sing a lie as it is to live a lie. So, Father, may you be blessed, may you be pleased in what you see in our response unto you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.